to continue on with that, that question that Crystal asked um, and the surveys that we're doing in here. Who, who came into this place tired today? Okay, if you need, your neighbor can help you hold your arm up there. <laughs> we try to schedule open like as late as possible in the day to give you, uh, give you as much as possible. Um, but we do put the lights down, and, and Kelly's playing those sweet pads there. Um, and, and so sometimes that tiredness finds us, and that's even before I preach, too. Um, it's, it's okay to laugh at that. It's, it's all right. But we're all, we're all tired right now. Um, for so many reasons. There's, there's a lack of sleep tired. Uh, that's part of it. There's the busy tired. Um, when the days and responsibilities just wear us out. Um, and then there's just the world tired right now. It seems like there's just a waterfall of brokenness and injustice and wrong in our world these days. Uh, and it comes with just this existential tiredness sometimes, where our soul and ourself are fatigued or just numb even. It's a lot. And for some of us, it's very personal. Uh, we don't feel settled or safe right now or those that we love in the same way. And, and that constant alertness or stress can wear on us. And it's also that our, our hearts are hurting in the world, and there's so much to do in response that we're compelled to. And so for all of us, no matter what, we're, we're working right now hard. Our souls are hard at work on our, on our world in some ways, in our job, with our friends, and our relationships, on ourselves. We're trying to raise our kids right. We're trying to raise our parents right. You know, it's lots of work there. And we look up and we see around the world that there's so much to do. Um, our souls are compelled still to be at work fiercely and faithfully for equity and equality, for justice and rightness, for the flourishing of humanity in every corner, no matter what. And that work that we're about matters. Whatever it is, all of it is so important. Living and working and parenting and advocating and justice doing, and someday it's just simply the work of being. All of it matters. And as we do that work, it's so important that we stay awake in our world. We all know what happens when you've been awake for too long, right? Let's just say at the end of middle school slumber parties, those last 30 minutes are not pretty. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of knock-knock jokes going on at that time. It's, it's bad. So, so seriously, over these last few weeks, I've noticed in myself this, this wee bit of, of fatigue and tension, a growing hardness, these creeping knock-knock jokes that just keep finding their way into my life. It comes from this place of soul fatigue, I think. And so today, we're going to pause for the cause a little bit, and we're going to try to find some wisdom and some refreshment in the midst of this. And mainly it's for me, if that's cool with all of you, because in the words of the prophet Ice Cube, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. And so today is for me, um, and so you're welcome to listen in, or if you need to get a nap, you can do that too, uh, catch up on your sleep. This, I think this conversation is important, because here at Open, we talk a lot about getting to work, about the important work that's there for us to do, in some way to be a part of, of what God is longing to bring into our world, into our community, into our families and friendships and ourselves, and every sacred part of our diverse human family. And in this series, especially called A Different Way, we're looking at the way of life that Jesus embodied and talked, a, a way of, of work and a way of life that leads to life and peace and to flourishing for all. 
And Jesus had a lot to say about the work to do and about what to do in living that way of life, to love, serve, seek, listen, be generous, to stand up, to reach out. It is a beautiful to-do list for us. But if that is only a to-do list, as important and critically necessary as action is, if all we find in the Jesus way is work and a to-do list, and we just heap that to-do list that we can't quite do (laughs) on top of tiredness, then we just get tired plus guilty, which of course equals Ben and Jerry's, (laughs) is what that goes together, right? But in his time, Jesus flipped the script. Uh, The culture around him said, you know, you do the to-do list in order to be fulfilled, to be worthy, to be loved. But Jesus started from a different place, uh, in a different way. He said, before work, before doing, you are already worthy. You are already loved. You are so loved. Now, do likewise. Our doing flows from our being, and that little shift in a different way changes everything. It brought empowerment and life. As Jesus said, it brought life and life abundantly to those who caught this vision. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they did what religion was really, really good at. They made lots of lists, the to-do list and the to-don't list that you're supposed to do. So they had approximately 316 rules on their list. And if you do the list in their vision, then you truly belong, then you're truly worthy of love. But as you can imagine, everyone who was honest with themselves felt far away from that list. They felt unworthy, they felt powerless before it. And Jesus had some strong words for this vision of what God wants for us. He said, woe to you, woe also to you lawyers, those who are about the law, these lists and rules, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not lift a finger to ease them. You heap the burden of to-dos upon those who are trying without even offering help or a coupon for Ben and Jerry's along the way. (laughs) Well, Jesus had this to say about his way. He said, "Come come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because Jesus began from a different perspective, a different framework of relationship between us and God and the world around us and the work to do began with the framework of love, not law, a framework that begins with being, not doing, one that begins not with to-dos, but begins with you, that you are a beloved child of God of sacred worth and profound purpose. You belong. And from that place, from that worth, God invites you to join. See, the way of Jesus isn't just about doing against all odds. It's about being with all you are, with all your depth, so that you can do with all you are. And with the empowerment of the deepest, divinest forces of the universe, supporting you in your being and empowering you in your doing. And so when Jesus looked at the 613 command to-do list, he just pushed it aside. 
and gave us one in return. And so here's what I mean. One of the last nights that he was there with his students, Jesus gave, gives them this framework that comes down to one thing, a way of understanding their life with God and the world around them. And this is what he said. He said, I give you a new commandment and one, just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. But do you catch the order there? It says, you are loved. I have loved you. Love as you've been loved. You're already loved, first and above all, as a beloved child of God. That is who you are and where you begin, and you can simply be that. (laughs) No to-do list required because you belong, but the magic begins to happen in our lives and in our world when our doing, our acting in love for one another, flows from that place, that place of being and belonging, And the magic happens when God's love becomes the dynamo that empowers our own. As a friend said to me, you can't pour from an empty cup, but a cup with a spring of life inside can overflow. And sometimes, sometimes, well, actually all the time, we can lose sight of kind of that beginning place. Sometimes we just need to, as Crystal and the team let us, slow down. And hear, let our heart hear that sound. Slow down and be, and be loved, child of God. Sometimes we just need to appreciate the small things, like this good boy that I brought a video of us for. Yes. The simple pleasures of life. Next time you're at the barber shop, I want to see that face. <laughs> Or, to put it another way, as the Quaker author Parker Palmer writes, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift that I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. And anytime we can listen to the true self and give it the care that it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. So there's a Jesus story that goes to the heart of this, to that balance between being and doing, to that profound power of the both and that begins with being and belonging. And it might even offer us some practical guidance as we go. Um, But it was a story that I kind of always struggled to understand. Uh, It was a strange story, which I know is not saying much when you talk about Bible stories. Um, But as someone who was wired for doing, I didn't quite get this story. Uh, but I think I've found a way in, and I want to share a little picture of it today. And so um, check this story out. It, this story is found in our scripture library in the book of Luke, chapter 10, um, beginning in verse 38. And so the story begins like this. Jesus goes to visit his friends, Martha and Mary, at their home. And Martha welcomes him in, and her <laughs> sister, Mary, sits at his feet and spends time there listening to what he was saying which is really nice, right? But here's where the conflict comes in. The next verse says this, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and so she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. And like, I gotta say, she's got a point, right? Um, Are any of you the roommate who does the dishes in your apartment? Yes, Uh, same ones that were tired earlier. Um, You have my permission to live a little, to fill your a clean dish with Ben and Jerry's tonight, and then 
wash it afterwards. <laughs> um, so, so, like, what do we do with this? And so Jesus' response is so unexpected to me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. What is <laughs> What is that about, like, shade on Martha for doing the dishes, all right? And there goes my chance to use Jesus' guilt to get my kids to clean their room. They're like, I've chosen the better part, Dad. (laughs) But there is a lot to commend in this story just at at its face about hospitality, about attention to others, about mindfulness and being engaged in the presence, in in the present moment. But I don't think this story is really presenting an either-or. I think it's presenting a both-and to us. Uh, while telling us that where our heart rests and where it centers and where our work begins matters. As we begin with being and belonging and beloving, then we do, and then we act, and then we love. We find a way of balance, and Jesus invites us to recenter ourselves at the feet of the source of it all. But to see this, we've got to step back a little bit to understand where this story is coming from. And we need a little bit of historical literary background to see the big picture. So are you ready to get a little nerdy? Okay, for those of you who aren't, you can take a nap at this point and catch up on your sleep. So <laughs> in the ancient Greek rhetorical styles, I wasn't kidding about the nerdy part, <laughs> um, that those rhetorical styles that permeate the writings of, about Jesus, the form and the shape of a story, even the order in which it was told, um, were part of a way that meaning was conveyed. And in particular, one form that was considered beautiful in those days was called the chiasm. Uh, after the Greek letter chi or X, uh, it was a narrative and logical form that was kind of shaped like an X that converges and then reemerges, where the beginning mirrors the end in a meaningful way. And these forms were beautiful in those days. They were practiced. They were like Twitter meme forms that you just use over and over in different ways, and everyone follows and knows. If you're taking a Greek rhetoric exam, do not use that example. Um, or if you do, like, cite me on it for that, too. So the author of the book of, of Luke, uh, where we encounter the story of Mary and Martha, was a particularly skilled writer in Greek rhetorical style, and he uses structure in meaningful ways throughout. And so when we're looking at this, I think it's important to look at the flow of stories that precede this Mary and Martha story, just, just here in Luke chapter 10, for instance. So first, beginning in Luke 10, 25, it's the story of the, of the great commandments, where a lawyer, someone who's interested in those law things, comes and says, what is the key to life? What must I do? And according to Jesus, it is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and just like it, love neighbor as you love yourself. And then the next story that follows right after, the lawyer says, okay, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with a story that answers that question. Jesus responds with a story about the Good Samaritan, telling us in an unexpected way what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves, how to do that action. But if we leave it there, then Jesus never really answers the question of how to do the first commandment, how to fulfill that first commandment, the beginning of it all, how to love God with our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength with all that we are. Where do we even begin? And so I think maybe, 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 this chiasm is completed 
by the Mary and Martha story. That it answers that question of how to do the first thing, to love God and be loved by God. Not by doing and working and striving, but by simply being and being loved. Just as Mary was with the Jesus who loved her to sit and listen and be still and be loved and love as best we can by being and belonging and being beloved from that place, that life-empowering, restoring, life-finding place by sitting at the feet of the source where we can hear those words, you are loved and as I have loved you now, love one another. It is, as Jesus says of Mary, a better place to begin our doing, a place that cannot be taken away, that is essential and enduring. And I think this might be what the story is seeking to share with us. Do love your neighbor as yourself, but begin by loving and being loved by the God who calls you beloved first and far before. Let that being be the source of your doing. It is a different way. It's a way of balance, a way of being. It's the way of the beloved, and that is what we are. And so, so what do we do with that? Do we just wait until Jesus stops by our house and then, like, stop folding laundry? Is that what we're supposed to do to connect with God? I mean, if Jesus stops by, then yes, stop folding the laundry and break out the Ben and Jerry's and enjoy the moment. Um, But I think we can learn from Mary and the way that she does this, um, and and really from the practices of seekers throughout the ages. So Mary welcomes Jesus in, and she ceases for a little while from, from activity. And she draws near to the one who loves her and delights in her and listens and listens amidst the hubbub of the world and the work to be done, and she listens for those things that endure. And you can do that too, even now. Jesus' Jewish tradition has a practice called Sabbath, a practice of ceasing, of drawing near, of delighting, and listening. It's it's more than just vegging with Netflix and a, a good podcast and some Ben and Jerry's. It's more than time off. It is time to be truly on, Uh, to center ourselves on the source. And sometimes that's in stillness, sometimes that is in community and in delight, but it is always about drawing near to the center of the God who is with us and who loves you. And so listen to to the words of the great seeker, Rachel Held Evans, as she describes it. She says, on the Sabbath, everything that is unessential bows to that which endures. On the Sabbath, one is not meant to do, but to be to sit at the feet of that which endures and be. Now, I know what you're thinking. Sure, you know, that sounds awesome. <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> I cannot even find a moment. And like, that's the point, right? We can't. And so we must start somewhere. Take a Sabbath afternoon. Take a Sabbath hour. Take a Sabbath commercial break. Whatever it is that you have, um, if you've, once you buckle your kids in the car and you shut the door, take the Sabbath of walking around the car to get in the driver's side. <laughs> Just start somewhere. But wherever you start, I want, I want to give you four words just to frame those moments, those merry moments, even if you just use them as you walk around the car. They come from a wise teacher named Marva Dawn in her little book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, holy like holistically. And she says, this is what it takes uh, to draw near like Mary in whatever duration you can. The first word is this, cease. 
just cease. Cease the striving part of life and the the doing part of life for just a little while. Cease trying to earn worth and love. You are loved and worthy. Cease. But remember in our ceasing that this is not a law to follow. These are gifts to us. A chance just a little while to cease and to be free in a world that says we can't be. Second word is this, rest. Rest in the God who is with us. Like Mary at Jesus' feet, be still and know, as the psalmist says, rest in what endures. And think about how cool it is that in the Sabbath time, the intentional contact with the God of the universe is to be about rest and restoration, not about work and doing and earning, but about simply being. That is beautiful when you think of it. A third word is this, embrace. Embrace life. That's what we find at the source, life and life abundantly. And so embrace delight, embrace creativity, embrace community. Don says, do things that delight you, Marva Don says. Find a neighbor and embrace humanity for a little while. Embrace the things that endure and that matter in life. But most of all, in this time, find and embrace God's love for you. And when you do, what you'll find is that it has been embracing you and holding you all along. And the last word is this, feast, celebrate. And we don't always think of these things together, but this was a big part of Sabbath observance. All the way through, Jews would finish the Sabbath with a glass of wine or a glass of juice and lighting fresh-smelling incense, and they would celebrate. Because this time with our source is to be a foretaste of the world as it should be, full of life and justice, joy, and peace. And when we embrace that joy with stubborn gladness in the midst of everything that seeks to steal life right now, it is resistance and drawing near to life. Celebrate what endures. There's so much in this world and so much wrong that when we find something good, we've got to celebrate it. As my friend Haley Feierbacher, who's director of the Wesley Campus Ministry at UNT and TWU, she says this, friends, you've got to celebrate the hell out of life. (laughs) So in this Martha world, in this world that needs us to be at work for justice and joy and peace for life in so many ways, we first have to find that life, to be with it. We need our merry time because you are loved first, foremost, and long before, and you are called to love with that same kind of enduring love. And when we seek that balance, we begin, we seek to begin to be as well as to do. When we do those things, we will find empowerment and wisdom and growth and life. And we'll find love far more than we imagine. The prophets in the Isaiah school wrote, Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And from experience, I do not think that the run and grow weary part is literal. Um, Just saying. (laughs) Not even like the walk and not be faint some days. But it is true. Uh, Your work, your stride, your life, your walk, your love will go farther when you live 
from the place of who you are as a beloved child of God, invited to rest and feast in the presence of love and the deepest, divinest forces in the universe. So I want to leave you with a poem that tells this story. It's a poem written by the great Howard Thurman, great philosopher and pastor and civil rights leader. He was longtime dean of, of Howard Chapel and Boston University Chapel, and he was Dr. Martin Luther King's mentor in life. And so he knew about work. He knew about weariness. He knew about struggle. But he also knew about the empowerment that Mary found as she centered down on that which endured. And she found life at the feet of the source. And so here is Reverend Dr. Thurman's poem. How good it is to center down, to sit quietly and see one's self pass by. The streets of our minds seethe with endless traffic. Our spirits resound with clashing, with noisy silences, while something deep within hungers and thirsts for the still moment and the resting lull. With full intensity we seek, ere thicket passes, a fresh sense of order in our living, a direction, a strong, sure purpose that will structure our confusion and bring meaning to our chaos. We look at ourselves in this waiting moment, the kinds of people we are. The questions persist. What are we doing with our lives? What are the motives that order our days? What is the end of our doings? Where are we trying to go? Where do we put the emphasis? And where are our values focused? For what end do we make sacrifices? Where is my treasure? And what do I love most in life? What do I hate most in life? And to what am I true? Over and over, the questions beat upon the waiting moment. As we listen, floating up through all the jangling echoes of our turbulence, there is a sound of another kind, a deeper note which only the stillness of the heart makes clear. It moves directly to the core of our being. Our questions are answered, our spirits refreshed, and we move back into the traffic of our daily round with the peace of the eternal in our step. How good it is to center down. Friends, it is good to center because at the depth of it all, we find a love and a life that endures, that is holding us even in those moments when we can barely hold it together the love of a God who loves you first and far before. And it is with that peace and power of the eternal in our step that we walk, that we do, and that we be in this life. Let's pray together. Gracious God of rest and restoration, of reconciliation and renewal, of relationship 
and recreation. God, thank you for your love for us. Amidst the jangling echoes of our world, that there is a voice deeper still that calls to us, that welcomes us, and that's with us always. Help us stop to hear. God, in this world of doing, of this world of work to do, sometimes it can be overwhelming. And so this week, let us find some Sabbath time, some merry time to be loved. That we might cherish the gift that you have given us. That we might stand up, walk our way, and love as we've been loved. I thank you. I pray all of this in gratitude for you and your life. Amen.